We want to know, what do you think of podcasts? What do you want to hear about? Share your opinion and you could win a $100 Amazon gift card. Visit amsa.org slash survey to take our brief survey so that we can help you grow as a physician in training. Even as the definition of a non-traditional med student has shifted, there are outliers. Welcome to the AMSA AdLib podcast, where you'll hear from med students and experts alike. I'm your host, Christine Camizio. Elaine Luther is one such outlier, but medical school isn't just about the medical career that follows. It is itself an accomplishment and a statement. Here's Elaine's story about what stood in her way and the night that refocused her on a dream she'd been denied. She shared her experience at a Story Slam event at AMSA's annual convention. My name's Elaine. And I just finished my second year of medical school at Rosh University uh, at 60 years old. People always want to know why. (laughs) So when I was young, I um, always liked to help things. I um, helped baby birds out of the, you know, rescued a baby bird. Um, you know, all the kids do that, but my bird, I stayed beside it 24 hours, and it lived, and I put it in a bush, it flew away. Um, gave my little sister mouth-to-mouth once when she turned to blue, uh, having croup. But back in that day, if a girl was interested in healthcare, she was told she would make a good nurse. If a boy was interested in healthcare, he's told he'd make a good doctor. And there's very little crossing, maybe less than 1%. And so I was pushed into nursing, and I, I tried to do it. I got a job in a hospital. I worked as a unit secretary for a year. And... Um, I had to transcribe the doctor's orders, and the doctors would sit on the other side of the desk from me to do their charting and to talk to one another about the patient conditions and the issues and everything. And after I'd been working there for a year, I just really grew to love overhearing their conversations. They were smart. They were interesting. Their jobs were challenging. The nurses, on the other hand, boring. Uh, so I knew that if I ever went into healthcare, I, I would have to be a doctor. And so that's why I didn't do it, because girls didn't do things like that back then. Um, anything adventurous that a girl wanted to do was pretty much next. So I wanted to go on a mission for my church. And when I told my bishop, he said, you know, a woman's mission is to get married and raise a family, and that's what I want you to do. And when I was in college, uh, I was a middle child of seven and trying to figure out how I'm going to pay for this because I didn't get much support from my family. They couldn't. So I would go down to ROTC to join ROTC and kind of find out they didn't like girls in ROTC back then. Uh, Girls were not supposed to have careers in the military. They're expected to be homemakers. So I don't think I even ever told anybody that I wish I could be a doctor. I just kind of like gave up. So um, I uh, got married and I majored in broadcast journalism. I ended up in Corpus Christi, Texas at a station called KIII TV, number one in the market. I was the weekend assignments editor, so it was my job to get there early and drum up all the stories so that when the reporters came in, I told them exactly where to go, what story to cover. 
And occasionally, um, other stories would come up during the day. I'd listen to the police scanner all day long, and I'd have to pull them off of a story to go hit some breaking news. Sometimes they were not available to be pulled off, and then I had to go out on the story, even though I was not a regular reporter. So one uh, weekend that happened, it was a really dark, rainy night, and uh, over the scanner there was news that a police car, I mean, excuse me, a car had um, careened over the harbor bridge and into a telephone pole. So a uh, photographer and I went down there, and sure enough, uh, that car must have barreled into that telephone pole at 70 miles an hour. There were no skid marks. There was a pan of brownies in the floorboard, if you know what that means. And um, that telephone pole was wedged up into the hood of the car like a V, like a, like a, it was almost up to the windshield. So there had been two people in the car. The passenger was a young man, about 20 years old, and he was laying there. His eyes were open, but there were no lights on. Um, he uh, must have died on impact because there was very little blood, but I could smell the fresh blood. Um, in the car, uh, the driver of the car was trapped inside. He had the steering wheel and most of the engine in his lap. So they had had to turn off the power to the area because the wreck took down the electric lines. And so there were police cars with their headlights attempting to illuminate the scene. And their blue strobe lights were making everything look you know, like that. Um, <clears throat> and there was a crew from the fire department with the jaws of life trying to cut this poor guy out of the car. Have y any of y'all ever seen the jaws? Okay, so the jaws work with a gasoline-powered generator, or at least they did that night, because there's no power, and it's very noisy and smoky. And then they're hydraulically powered, and it makes this loud thumping noise. It sounds like a jackhammer on a slower tempo than usual. And the jaws themselves look like pliers, and they would fit under the car like a car jack. And when they turn on the jaws, it would squeeze and cut the metal. And I don't know if you've ever heard metal rip, but it screams. It made this squealing sound like this poor guy might have made if he could make a sound. He was conscious, but he was, must have been going into shock because he was so limp. And he couldn't make a sound. And all of us who were there at the scene... There was so much tension in the air because we knew that this, this man's life hang by a thread and we had to get him out of that car. So then the ambulance arrives. Notice reporters on the scene before the ambulance. That's why we were number one in this market. <laughs> but anyway, the ambulance arrives and I'm a cynical reporter, and I'm thinking, bozos, what do you think you're going to do here? This one guy's dead, 
And the other guy's like so trapped in the car, he's going to be dead by the time they get him out. So what are you going to think you're going to do, like tow the whole freaking car down to the emergency room? So I'm watching them thinking, yeah, right. And then I saw what they did. Started an IV. And I'm like, I didn't know you could do that. Start an IV while they're still in the car. But I'm like, well, that would work, wouldn't it? Right, folks? Restore the fluids, keep them from going into shock, keep them alive till they can get him out of the car. Maybe they could get him down to the hospital and save his life. And at that moment, I was just so relieved. And um, I wanted to be with the ambulance crew on the helping side of the yellow tape. But I was a reporter, so I talked to the policeman and got the details. I hightailed it back to the station. We got this breaking story on the 10 o'clock news. But it made me realize I had made a terrible mistake. I was not a reporter. I didn't give a damn about the story. I cared about whether that guy lived. So um, <clears throat> I talked to my husband about it, and I quit my job and went back to school and went, took physics and chemistry so I could apply to medical school. Well, as fortune would have it, uh, you know, we thought we were infertile. Um, but something about going back to school made me pregnant. <laughs> we ended up having four children. So I forgot about school for 14 years. The only glimmer that I'd ever once wanted to go to medical school was my stethoscope. By gummy, I examined my kids with a stethoscope when they had a cold. <laughs> I was that patient, you know, they say in medical school you never have, the one who comes in and says, Doctor, my son has an expiratory wheeze on the left apical node of their lung. So I think he has asthma. Uh, but anyway, so I was that lady. Well, um, so the years passed. Unfortunately, as the years passed, um, my husband and I eventually split up. And he uh, attempted me to give up custody of the children. He said, you know, Elaine, I know you've always wanted to go to medical school. If you let me have custody of the children, you could do it. And it was tempting because I had always wanted to go to medical school. But, you know, divorces don't happen in a vacuum. Um, something had gone wrong, you know. And... Uh, for us, what had gone wrong is whenever we'd have a big fight, my husband would lose his temper pretty bad, and sometimes he'd hit me. Uh, so eventually, I pressed charges on him, and that's when he decided that he wanted a divorce. So as I lay awake there thinking, I had to realize there was that remote possibility that if he had custody of the children, he would do the same thing to him. And I, I wanted to be a pediatrician, what kind of doctor would I be if I let my own children be in a situation where there could be child endangerment? So I said, nice try, X, but I'm not going to do it. So it was another many years. Another many years passed by. Now fast forward to when my youngest child 
is about to leave home. He's graduated from high school, and he's going to join the Air Force. And this is supposed to go on the Air Force Monday morning. And Sunday night, he looks at me, and he says, Mom, I just feel so guilty leaving you here all alone. He says, you have always had wrapped your whole life around your family, and I just don't know what you're going to do when I'm gone. And I, I left. I'm like, anything I want. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, you? I says, what have you ever wanted to do? And, I, and I'm like, Todd, I have always wanted to travel and go to medical school. And he's like, you? And I'm like, yeah. So that was Sunday night. So Monday morning, I took him down to his recruiter, and he was whisked off into the Air Force. Thursday, I got laid off. Friday, I went down to the medical school and got the prerequisites. And Monday, I signed up for OCHEM. <laughs> so... On the way home from signing up from OCHEM, I'm driving home, and I had to pull over because I was crying. Now, I know all of you took OCHEM, and it made you cry, too. <laughs> but for me, I was crying because I knew that this time, nobody was going to stop me. I'm going to med school. Hamsa Adlib is brought to you by the American Medical Student Association. I'm your host, Christine Camizio. This episode was produced by Pete Thompson and myself. Special thanks to Perry Sai for arranging the Story Slam event at AMSA's annual convention. Joshua Caulfield is the show's executive producer, and Dr. Kelly Tibbert is AMSA's national president. Think the playing field is level when it comes to med student admissions? Tune in next week to hear about biases and barriers in the admissions process. Whether this is your first episode of AMSA AdLib or your 40th, we need to know what you'd like to be hearing, and you could pick up one of our $100 Amazon gift cards along the way. Please take our brief survey. You can find a link to it at amsa.org slash adlibsurvey. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and thank you for listening.